Our news the last couple of weeks, maybe longer than that, I think has been dominated by a number. Certainly the Conservative Party and the coalition government are now responding to that number of 156 billion. It's an ugly figure, isn't it? Um, But it seems to be needed to be addressed and recognised and done something about the national debt. I wonder what other figures arrest you, interest you. You notice the chief uh, executive of BT got a bonus of £1.2 million this past week. Or did you know that last year, in this country, we spent £4.2 billion on our pets? According to the UNHCR, in March of this year, They verified that half of the world, 3 billion people, live on less than £2.50 a day. Is it £40,000 that David Laws is looking to pay back? What figures arrest you and stay in your mind? They do arrest you, don't they? We live in an age where the economy is everything stupid. And so for us as Christians, living in that context, how do we deal with it? Can we deal with it? Is it an evil reality? Is money toxic? Is money something that we use wisely? Is it money something that doesn't affect us? Why is it, even in the likes of Morrison's, that we are so attracted for to, on two-for-one deals? Is it because we're being thrifty or is it because we're being greedy? We haven't, in the time I've been in Camborne, taken a Sunday just to look through the Bible at at what the Bible says about money and about giving, certainly giving. And so I'd just like, if I may, to to run through a few passages about money with you this morning. I wonder what passages you would choose. I found this very difficult. This is probably not systematic enough. I don't know. I wonder where you would start with what the Bible says about money and about giving. Actually, it says lots of stuff, but I want to draw our attention to a few of these. And I want to say the starting place is really important. We can disagree or have different opinions and go, see, there's different texts that come from different times and different places later on, but the starting point is really important. It's like in Ireland, where one guy turns to her and says, to try to get to Dublin, I wouldn't start here, mate. Because the starting point comes in the Psalms. Everything belongs to God. Everything we have and everything we accomplish comes from God's grace and God's love for us. Psalm 24 and 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. The earth and everything in it belongs to God. All the people who live on this earth belong to God. God has made everything. An underpinning of an attitude to life. So easy that there are things that push against that. So many things will quickly in our society, in our advertising, in our companies, in our homes, in our shopping, will make us doubt that. As Christians, underneath it all, we say, 
It is all given by God. And it has to be a general, a basic thing to say. And yet it's a fundamental point of departure for understanding us how we look at money and giving and our lives. It's given by God. I remember I was on sabbatical last year and I was challenged as I looked back to the history of our, our project here in Camborne and Camborne itself, how many people have helped along the way to realize who we are and what we are today, whether it be Camborne as a development or us as a church. So many people have pulled on the rope. So many people have made decisions in different places so that we have what we have today, to which we just stand and say, thank you, God, for all that has been done. Psalm 89, verse 11 says, The heavens are yours, and yours also the earth. You founded the earth and all that's in it. Not only does the earth belong to God, but also the heavens, the sun, the moon, the stars, and the galaxies. God created the universe. So it's a bit like first service, I didn't have a button done up in my shirt and whatever, and someone spotted that, thankfully, so you're not going to see that at all. But it's a bit like getting your buttons, or in our duvet, Em and I have difficulty getting our buttons in the right order. If you get the first one right, that's then you're more likely to get, if you get them, if you start halfway up, you get the one of them wrong, the rest of them just look higgledy-piggledy. The baseline of this, the earth belongs to the Lord, not you or me. We are temporary sojourners on this land. Who's going to own your house in a hundred years? Who's going to own your car? Who's going to own your... Who's going to put anything material in your coffin and take it along to heaven? Who's going to do something like that? We know deep in our souls that everything belongs to God. And I think at the heart of all people who love God and are generous in their giving is that profound but simple awareness that everything belongs to God. Second point this morning that we make is that God loves us and therefore we love God. So we have a response of gratitude. Again, the psalm, Psalm 75, we give thanks to you, God. We give thanks for your name is near. People tell of your wonderful deeds. We give thanks to you, God. Often when we're grateful, um, we say thank you a few times, don't we? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Something that we foster as Christians in our lives. A spirit of gratitude. Noticing the smallest thing as well as the largest thing. Thank you, God, for everything that we have. Thank you for all that you've given. Psalm 107, give thanks to the Lord who is good and his love endures forever. When you look at the earth... When you look at Jesus Christ, our conclusion is that God is good. Psalm 118, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. His love endures for us when we are young until when we are old. Imagine telling the person next to you that as we're getting older. God's love endures forever. God's love endures forever. Don't worry about the future because God's love endures endures forever. Psalm 8, we read it earlier, um, we read it at the first service. What is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you give us so much because you love us? We love God because he has first loved us. 
I don't think you can be that much of a generous giver if you don't believe that everything belongs to God. And so how do we respond then as Christians? We respond in thankfulness. What do we give to God? Our time, our talents, our money. And when we look at the Old Testament, the best of the Old Testament we see in its piety and religion, the Jews were encouraged to give 10% of what they had. And I've been fascinated that I've looked at this as to where this came from. I haven't exactly, I don't think I've tracked down the source of it exactly yet, but it's fascinating. And I wonder if you want to turn with me, first of all, to Genesis chapter 14, where we see Abraham wanting to give God something. In his thankfulness and gratitude, Abraham, in Genesis 14, verse 18, King Melchizedek of Salem was a priest of God Most High, brought out some red wine, said to Abraham, I bless you in the name of God Almighty. All praise belongs to God Most High. Then Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything. That's the translation we have in this Bible, a tenth of everything. Other ones, it seemed like a spontaneous gift, a thanksgiving to God. Now, why does Abraham choose to do that at that time? It's not very clear. What becomes more interesting as we go on in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 28, sorry, in in that part of Genesis, Abraham is responding to the goodness of God and recognizing that everything comes from God. In Genesis 28, we meet the slippery character called Jacob. And this is a fascinating passage because here again, the 10% is explicitly mentioned. But look at the terms in which Jacob does a deal with God. Jacob cuts a deal with God, which is fascinating. Genesis 28, 18. When Jacob got up early the next morning, he took the rock that he'd used for a pillow and stood it up for a place of worship. Then he poured olive oil on the rock to dedicate it to God and he named the place Bethel. Jacob solemnly promised God, If you go with me and watch over me as I travel, and if you give me food and clothes and bring me home safely, you will be my God. This rock will be your house, and I will give back to you a tenth of everything you give me. Is that a great deal? Is that the foundation of of, of tithing? Some some Christians have argued that, there we go, that's, that's the beginning of, I see a conniving deal there. The word back to me is the key one. Jacob knew that he was cutting a deal and he was chancing his arm. You know, you've given me everything. I'll give you back explicitly 10%. Hmm, not sure. Clearly mentioned though, isn't it? And it's something the people of Israel pick up on, this giving of 10%. We come later to the book of Leviticus. And by this stage in chapter 27 of that, there's a giving to the priests. For Leviticus 27, we read, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. If a man redeems any of his tithe, he must add a fifth to the value of it. The entire tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod, will be holy to the Lord. He must not pick out the good from the bad or make any substitution. I like this saying give a tenth, give you, give you first of your animals. And knowing what people are like, the lawmaker says, and not just the skinny ones, a good first of these animals, a representative one. These are commandments that God gave to Moses on Sinai. 
10%, 1 in 10. However, by the time we get to Deuteronomy, we're going further into the, New Te- in, into the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 14, if you want to have a look at that. That's page 169 for 169. Look at that verse 22. People of Israel, every year you must set aside 10% of your grain harvest. Oh, hold on, but also, also set aside 10% of your wine and olive oil and the firstborn of every cow, sheep, and goat. Take these to the place the Lord chooses to be worshipped and eat them there. This will teach you always to respect the Lord your God. And it carries on if you look down. Give also to the poor. Bring some for years of celebration. Goodness, by the time we're in, in Deuteronomy, the tithing seems more like 23 to 25% of what people have got. Quite striking that. And so by the time we get to Malachi, which we heard read, we have this strange passage where God says to people, you are robbing me of what you said you're going to give. Back to that conniving character, Jacob. You said you give me 10%, and now you're giving me nothing, and yet you're asking me to bless you. That's the problem with the book of Malachi. The people are saying, God, why aren't we doing better? And God says, well, because you're not worshipping me with all that you have in the way that's been set up, in the way that's been agreed. Now, some people use Malachi to say, if you give appropriately to God, God will, um, that abundance, God will, will take that and multiply it. And so we have a prosperity gospel sometimes built out of Malachi 3, and I'm nervous about that. But clearly what we see there is God saying, the idea of 10% and the idea of God saying, I will bless you when you bring what is appropriate, that you give your all to me. That's in the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? What about those of us that are Christians? This is where it gets a bit fuzzier. Because Jesus doesn't say, we don't have ten more commandments from Jesus. And on money and giving, Jesus says some powerful things, but he clearly doesn't say, oh, ten percent give to the church, or fifteen, or whatever. He doesn't say a figure. When we're in the New Testament, we look at money, what strikes us is the power of money. Jesus says in Matthew, You can't worship God and money. Is money toxic? We go back to that question. And it's interesting in the New Testament that those that give most generously are the poor, not the rich. The rich find it hard to give. The rich rich young ruler who turns away. The shocking story for us of Ananias and Sapphira, who gave a good amount of what they had to God, but yet said that that was everything And we find they drop dead. That's a shocking story for us who own private property. So what are we going to try and look as a principle in the New Testament for for giving? Well, maybe one that's been looked to, and I suggest you turn to this, is 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16. Here's maybe a scriptural principle for us to think about in terms of our giving. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2. As you turn with me to all these passages, I just again asked you, biblically, what passage would you say is foundational for your attitude towards giving? But anyway, back to 16. When you collect money for God's people, I want you to do exactly what I told the churches in Galatia to do. That is, each Sunday, each of you must put aside part of what you've earned. If you do this, you won't have to take up a collection when I come. 
Now, some people have pointed out that Paul here is relating to a specific need of a poorer church, and maybe it's wrong to base this on a general principle. Other people have said, no, that is very helpful for us as Christians to know where to begin with this, with this giving business. Looking again at that sentence of verse 2, our financial giving should be regular, each Sunday, each of you, universal, must, committed, in proportion to what you've earned, proportionate. Maybe that's helpful. Paul continues in Corinthians, in, in the second letter, in chapter 8 of Corinthians. And interestingly there, I think you could read this at home and sort of see what you make of it. Second Corinthians chapter 8, the title is Generous Giving. We're at a stage in our church where we want to mature in our faith and our faith corporately. And so we said to our partner churches, we've been receiving the seed corn funding for a long time. We need financially to take the responsibility to grow up ourselves as people. We can't justify, given our incomes, given our situation in Camber, continue to take all this money from you partner churches where there's other places in this country that need the money more than us. And so as a church council, we've agreed to taper down to the moment next year, we're going to only get £7,000. Whereas a few years ago, we got 32000 from our partner churches. Because we want to see it as a step of faith and a maturing as a church that we play our part in being responsible for the financial maintenance and welfare of our church and ministry team. That's what Paul's suggesting in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, that he wants the Corinthians to grow in maturity, to show the world what matters to them, to show where their security lies, and that life is grace from beginning to end. Back to ourselves. Maybe some of you will find it helpful to know that we have 96 members. If we have a target of £15,000, that could be realized overnight if each of the members were to increase by £3 a week their giving. be solved overnight. I was thinking £3 a week and giving it for youth work. It's a bit like giving a pizza to the youth worker. Half a bottle of wine. £3. Half a bottle of wine? You can give that to... I don't know, but certainly a pizza. Maybe thinking those terms is helpful. Spending at the weekend on meals or whatever. In terms of the value of our youth work and what's important to us. On July the 4th, we are challenged to come and bring all of ourselves to God and think about our calling together as people. So I'm suggesting to to recap Maybe this hasn't been as helpful as you thought it might be when we started out. Because the New Testament doesn't give a figure. We have several beautiful stories, however. The story that we heard Emma read earlier of of the woman that pours ointment on Jesus' feet. I think the New Testament is about duty in giving. And the New Testament says, look at Jesus and respond to him. Maybe it's as general as that, the New Testament, in terms of our talents, our time, and our money. Look at all Jesus has done for us and respond. Maybe that's where we're at. I think 10% is a good starting point for our giving. But I think as Christians, filled with God's Spirit, God's Spirit of abundance, of generosity that flows over, we will want to give. 
and that our giving will be done willingly, cheerfully, generously, unselfishly, and unconditionally. And so as a church, I ask that whatever we choose to do, we worship God and not money.